welcome. And I guess I should welcome myself in a sense because this is the first class I'm, I'm teaching at Advent. Um, let's uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we can begin to explore this uh, theme of Thanksgiving in uh, in Colossians. Shall we pray together? We thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing us to meet as your church, as your people today, uh, to hear your word and to be blessed by you, by your Holy Spirit. We pray that as we reflect on scripture, that we might meet, might meet you, uh, that you would speak to our lives, uh, how much you love us, and at the same time, our obligations towards you that are met by the power of the Spirit in our lives. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, the act of gratitude or of giving thanks has become, if you look around you, very popular in our culture. It is kind of the mode in fashion to speak about gratitude, about giving thanks. Whereas in the past, Thanksgiving was essentially linked to a habit of religion. Today, a lifestyle of Thanksgiving is not necessarily tied to being religious at all. So in the past, uh, usually only people who were religious were interested in Thanksgiving. Uh, today, being thankful, being a person uh, who has a habit of giving thanks is not necessarily tied to religion, whether that's Christianity, Islam, or Judaism. The reason for this is a fundamental shift in the logic of thanksgiving. In the past, the emphasis was on the transcendent object of thanksgiving, namely God. Thanksgiving was primarily a way of acknowledging our dependence on the grace of God, an act which pleased God. By contrast, today's culture of thanksgiving is anthropologically oriented. That is to say, thanksgiving is encouraged simply because it is a virtuous act. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Or, more often, because of what it does for you. So rather than being centered on a transcendent, transcendent object, God it is more about what Thanksgiving does for you. Uh, and by the way, you could uh, take that to other uh, acts of virtue like forgiving. I remember watching a movie, um, I forget what the name is, uh, where the uh, mother is uh, counseling her daughter who's having problems with her husband and her husband has done some bad things to her. And the mother says, well, you need to forgive him. And she said, oh, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And the mother says, well, forgive him for you so that you will feel better, not for him, you see. So whereas forgiveness in the past was done because God told us to forgive, the Lord's Prayer, uh, in a lot of the culture today, you forgive because it is good for you. So it is not transcendent in its uh orientation, but it is rather imminent anthropological. It's what it does for me. Gratitude, object or not, 
whether there is an object to give thanks to or not, is good, we are told, for both your psychological and your physiological well-being. So being people of gratitude, giving thanks has become a, uh, a very popular thing today. Now, in terms of uh, the benefits of it, I, uh, a Harvard uh, publication uh, wrote uh, this essay in 2011 called In Praise of Gratitude. In Praise of Gratitude. Uh, and there he talks how, how important it is. Uh, quote, in positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. People feel and express gratitude in multiple ways. They can apply it to the past, the present, and the future. Regardless of the inherent or current level of someone's gratitude, it's a quality that individuals can successfully cultivate, cultivate further. Then, uh, the article uh, goes on to talk about research on gratitude and how uh, uh, one group uh, of people wrote about things that they were grateful for that had occurred during that week. And a second group uh, wrote about daily irritations or things that had displeased them. And the third group wrote about events that had affected them. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more, optimist, more optimistic and felt better about their lives uh, than the others. Surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians than those who focus on sources of aggravation. Uh, the article keeps going and talking about the, the uh, psychological and physiological health that a lifestyle of gratitude can, can give you, uh, which is good, right? I mean, it's a nice... Uh, it's a nice byproduct of, uh, of giving thanks. The remarkable thing, as you keep reading the article, is uh, where God comes in the picture. Like I said, in the past, uh, thanksgiving and gratitude was uh, linked to primarily to religious people, people who had an object to give thanks, a transcendent object to give thanks to, whereas today it is just giving thanks for the sake of thanksgiving. And you see that um, in, the, uh, in the practicality of thanksgiving in this, uh, in this article by Harvard. Uh, so what can I do? How can I be a more grateful person? Th uh, thank someone mentally. If you, if you want to cultivate this, thank someone mentally. Because you don't even have to go and thank the person mentally. Uh, keep a gratitude journal. Uh, count your blessings. And then pray. Whereas I would think a previous generations ago, the first category in which you could express Thanksgiving would be prayer, because Thanksgiving was something that was primarily linked to thanking your Creator. Here, uh, prayer is the penultimate category. It's the penultimate place for you to cultivate Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving has changed. The logic of gratitude has changed. And I think, there are some handouts there, and I think uh, that by observing how our contemporary culture thinks about Thanksgiving, 
uh, we can throw into relief, we can sharpen our understanding of uh, the scriptural understanding of thanksgiving. Now, let me just say this. I'm, uh, I'm not disputing the research here that, that being grateful, that giving thanks is good for your health, uh, physiologically and psychologically. That's all good. Uh, and I'm not surprised that that's the case. Uh, but the question is, how does the logic of thanksgiving, the habit of thanksgiving as it is expressed in our culture, how is that uh, in comparison to the scriptural logic of thanksgiving? Uh, this uh, came home to me, uh, has been coming home to me the last few weeks uh, with our, four, our four-year-old son, Philip, uh, as we sit at the table to, for dinner or uh, to pray at night before he goes to sleep. Uh, many times I ask him, trying to cultivate that spirit of Thanksgiving, I, I ask him, you know, what are you grateful for today? Uh, and, you know, he talks his, his toys. Uh, <laughs> Legos, uh, things like that. Um, what did he say? M&M's. Uh, in more, in, uh, more inspired times, he says his family um, and things like that. And, I, and I've been thinking... Okay, what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him to be grateful in the abstract. Just be grateful. Which again is, is better than a person that has a sense of, a sense of entitlement, right? Uh, and, or a grouchy person. Uh, and I'm thinking, when I, when I teach him about Thanksgiving, I have to point to the object of the Thanksgiving. Uh, you, his gratefulness is not just in the abstract. Uh, it's thankfulness, gratefulness to an object and for a reason. So this, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this. I think when we compare our contemporary culture of thanksgiving and gratitude with the biblical account, I think that we will find a fundamentally differing understanding of thanksgiving. To put it succinctly, thanksgiving uh, in scripture is from beginning to end God-oriented. Since it is to appreciate, since it is the appropriate creaturely response to God's grace. Whereas in uh, contemporary culture, thanksgiving may have nothing to do with God. In scripture, I believe, thanksgiving is from beginning to end God-oriented. Since it is the appropriate creaturely response to God's grace. It is based in a covenant in God's covenant with us, his gracious covenant whereby he chooses us in Jesus Christ to be his people. And the only responsibility that we have uh, back to God for that is to give thanks. Now, uh, we, we shouldn't think that our giving thanks will somehow uh, be of the same value as God God's lavishing of his grace upon us. As if... Uh, they meet somewhere in the middle, and I can repay God back by giving him thanks. No, not at all. Our thanksgiving is a, is a small token that cannot, uh, that cannot meet the, uh, the grace of God. So, Scripture is full of uh, texts on thanksgiving. Uh, obviously, we cannot go over all Scripture today. Uh, but I think we could uh, look uh, briefly at uh, sort of a survey of Colossians where the motif of thanksgiving is present. Uh, and that's your handout there, uh, Roman numeral 2. 
Paul and Thanksgiving Colossians. In this relatively short book, only four chapters, we know that Paul could write more, longer than that, of course. But in this relatively short book, uh, there are numerous mentions of thanksgiving, either with a verb, thanking, or uh, as an adjective, or as an adverb, and so on. I think that the best thing probably is, is to work through, uh, or rather read together, uh, the different texts on thanksgiving in Paul, and then to view them under the following categories. Uh, the object of thanksgiving, the reason for thanksgiving, and the morality of thanksgiving, and then we conclude it. So let's begin by reading some of these, and I'll ask you to help me if you would. Uh, let's begin with Colossians 1.3. We can open those of you who have some uh, Bibles and you're able to read. Uh, someone could read, please. Colossians 1.3 would be the first mention of thanksgiving in this epistle. Okay, thank you. Right when he begins uh, the body of his letter, the first uh, word is a verb, we thank God. Another uh, use is in verse 12. Verse 12. I wonder if someone could read that one. Thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Thank you. So then again, uh, he's still in the salutation part of the epistle. And already twice we have seen uh, the theme of giving thanks. Let's move to the next chapter, chapter 2. And I wonder if someone could kindly read 2, 6 through 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus our Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Good. There at the end, overflowing with thankfulness. Then another text is uh, in the third chapter, chapter 3, uh, verse 15. 315. Someone could read that, please. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Good. So right at the end there uh, of verse 15, he says, and be thankful. And then the last one is found uh, two verses later in 317. Someone could read that. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, thank you. So in, again, in this uh, short letter, you find the theme of thanksgiving all over the place. Um, so I think it would be fair, fair to say that <coughs> it is an important theme for Paul. Uh, and by the way, it is also uh, remarkable <coughs> because this is one, one of his uh, so-called prison epistles. So Paul was in prison when he wrote this, this letter. Um, and yet he's talking so much about thanksgiving, which right away tells you that... Uh, the possibility of giving thanks is not tied up to our circumstances. Uh, one does not drive the other. Okay, that's important. So now let's break it down a little bit further and let's look at it under the following categories. First, uh, on the Roman numeral 2a, 
the object of thanksgiving. The object of thanksgiving. We begin then with verse uh, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, uh, We always thank God. Uh, I'm going to read from my own translation here. Uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, on your behalf as we pray, as we pray. Uh, one of the things that we can note immediately here is that Thanksgiving is one of the constitutive parts of prayer. When you think of prayer in the New Testament, giving of thanks is constitutive of that activity. Prayer that doesn't include thanksgiving is not full biblical prayer. So Paul begins right away when he talks about prayer to them, also speaking about thanksgiving. Notice uh, who the object of the thanksgiving is here in verse 3. It is God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go then to verse 12, verse 12, we hear again, giving thanks to the Father who made you able to share the inheritance with the saints in the light. And then in 317, uh, whatever you do in word or in deed, uh, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you see the emphasis? Three times in the in talk about Thanksgiving in Colossians, Paul uh, says that we should give get, uh, thanks to God the Father. Now, I have a question here. It's, it's in your handout. Why would Paul simply not say God? Why not say uh, we give thanks to the Lord? We give thanks to God. Why say God the Father? See, that's the stuff of exegesis. In exegesis, in exposition of the scriptures, you want to ask yourself, why is it? Why does it say this and not this, right? And then investigate that, explore that a little, a little bit. So, uh, I'd like to hear what your thoughts. Uh, why? Why would Paul, uh, when he's describing the object of Thanksgiving, puts the tag God the Father? I'm sorry. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So presumably, uh, would that kindle the desire to give thanks because it's, it's your father is more relational? Is that is that? Uh huh. Yes. Yes. Very good. Very good. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. Um, any other thoughts? But as humans, the human side of it, it's so much easier to give thanks when there's a trigger, a specific situation, sure. uh, whatever, than it is just. I mean, we do it, but I think we're more sparked to do it when situations. Mm. Like that. And having, that's just the human side of it. 
Right. No, that's good. And having the father, that, that's, that's one of those things that, that triggers it. Um, yes, I think, uh, I think that, that there is a lot of truth in all, in all those observations. Um, the, it's interesting, when you look back at the Old Testament, the concept of God as father, uh, th- that is the father of individuals, uh, is not very prominent. It is when you move to the New Testament that the concept of God as Father is much more uh, developed. And uh, I I believe that it comes primarily from uh, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord teaching his disciples to say, Our Father who art in heaven. There were not many rabbis who were teaching their disciples to, to say that kind of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. And then, of course, that gets developed by the Lord Jesus himself, by the apostles, and so on. Uh, and uh, and yes, knowing that you're praying to God, not just a God in the abstract, but to God the Father, uh, it does uh, it does make it intimate. It does make you want to pray uh, more uh, and to give thanks in particular more. Uh, may I suggest too that uh, the moment that you say God the Father, you are jumping, or rather you are being swept into a Trinitarian framework. Because it's not just the Father in the abstract, but it's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the moment in the New Testament literature and in the Old Testament literature, although the Trinity is there but not as clear, not as unveiled as we find it in the, Old Te- in the New Testament, but the moment you say Father, you have to think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is important because this is our God. The Christian God is not God in the abstract, but is God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the difference between the Christian God and other gods. There has been some uh, debate recently. I don't know how many of you have read about the Wheaton College professor uh, and all that. And, uh, and it's raised the question if, uh, if uh, the God of, uh, of Islam is the same God as the God of the Christian. The answer is no. Because the God of the Christians is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the God of Muhammad is not the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see? The God of the Christians is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is no trinity in Islam. So, I think when Paul uh, emphasizes here God the Father uh, as the object of our, of our thanksgiving, and not simply God, he's bringing us, he's sweeping us in, into a more intimate knowledge of God, that is, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 12, um, yes? Is it Abba that's used there? Is Paul used Abba when he says, thanks to our Father? No, just the the regular, uh, so more of a Greek. Abba would be Aramaic, right? So, uh, pater. Uh It's just the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, let's move to the second point, and that is the reason for Thanksgiving. So, so the first thing I want to make clear is that the Bible knows nothing about gra- about gratitude in the abstract. Okay, as I said at the beginning, in con- in the contemporary Thanksgiving culture, um, particularly in North America, I think you see it also in Western Europe. Uh, you see it a lot in, in affluent countries, right? Uh, in, in countries where there is not much affluence, why am I going to give thanks for anything, <laughs> right? The only reason to give thanks is for God, because otherwise my life is a mess. Uh, so, uh, 
where was I? Right. So yeah, the, in in the Christian Bible, uh, it is uh, unheard of of just the act of thanksgiving as being the focus. It's rather the object of the thanksgiving that is the focus. Um, now, it is true that when we give thanks, God changes us. No, I think that's true. I think that if you've had a bad day, and then you come home and, and you want to write down or talk about uh, God's blessings, uh, you might you might want to sing afterwards rather than you know like we heard in the sermon, take take your meds and go to bed. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so that's good, but that's not the goal. Okay, it's not what it does for me; it's what it does for God, because it pleases God that I do it. It is the only appropriate creaturely response to give God thanks. Okay, let's move to the second point, and that is the reason for thanksgiving. Why do we give thanks? Why do we give thanks? Well, uh, very quickly, I would have to move out of Colossians. There are a lot of reasons to give thanks, right, in Scripture, uh, for our for our clothing, for our food, for our jobs. I mean, many, many reasons. But here in Colossians... Uh, there is sort of a horizontal reason and then a vertical reason. Horizontal reason is that Paul gives thanks for the believers, for the believers, in verses 1, uh, 3, and 4. Remember, Paul didn't plant this church. It was someone else who planted the church. Uh, Epaphras, verse 7. Uh, and uh, yet he has heard a lot about them, some of the good things, some of the hard things. Uh and so he, he has to uh, give thanks for them. So one of the reasons that I, uh, why we give thanks is uh, for other believers, particularly for the modeling of cardinal Christian virtues in the lives of believers. We don't just give thanks for believers in the abstract, but we give thanks because believers are showing in their lives cardinal Christian virtues. And look, look how interesting this is. So Paul says in verse 3, well, We thank uh, God and Father for Lord Jesus Christ always as uh, we pray for you. Uh, again, bear with me. This is, this is sort of my own translation here. Uh, and and look, look at the following terms. Having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love, which you have for all the saints, verse 5, for the hope. Now what does that sound like? 1 Corinthians 13, right? Faith, hope, and love. These three, you know, the great uh, the cardinal virtues of Christianity. Uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. So uh, you see this here. You see it in 1 Corinthians, and you see it in other parts of, uh, uh, of, of the New Testament. And so Paul is not just uh, saying, thank you, God, for this Colossian believers, although he does that in other places. But he's saying, thank you, God, for this Colossian believers, because by the power of the Spirit, they're modeling the basic Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. And so one of the reasons why we give thanks is for other Christians around us when we pray to God. And we, and we, give, we give God thanks because we see the love of Christ in their lives. We see their perseverance, their faith despite suffering. We see that they haven't given up hope despite terrible circumstances. So we give thanks horizontally, as it were, for believers, for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But also, number two, there's a vertical reason for giving thanks, and that is uh, 
we give thanks for the God who fully redeems us. The God who fully redeems us. That's uh, B2 in your handout. Uh, and here we turn to verse 12. Um, there, Paul says, giving thanks to the Father. Now, he's going to tell us a quality of the Father that is going to ground the reason for our things. What is that quality of the Father? He made us capable to share uh, a part in the inheritance with the saints in the light. How does that, your uh, authorized translation? <laughs> uh, okay, thank you. Very good. So, we thank God the Father, and, and why do we thank God the Father? Because of what He's done. Particularly, uh, He has uh, made us capable of participating in His inheritance. Now, notice that is an interesting way to put it. Uh, God makes you able to participate in the uh, inheritance with the saints. Uh, how so? Well, because new life... Uh, in the new heavens and the new earth is a life with that uh, new glorified body. Okay, you cannot live in the new heavens and the new earth if your body is not prepared for it. Okay, so uh, he has to he has to make you like that, and he can only he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit at the parousia when Jesus Christ comes back and raises us immortal, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians five. All right. So, uh, like Jesus, remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, it wasn't just he was raised from the dead uh, and uh, he looked a little nicer. He had a little more glow. <laughs> it wasn't just that. He had a new, glorified, immortal body. And that is what we are going to have, thank God, uh, uh, when he comes back. And so in that way, and in other ways, he has made you capable of participating in the inheritance of the saints. Otherwise, you you just you just couldn't go there. Yeah. I see it more as a second coming. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't. You know, my 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 belief is that when when a person uh, dies, a, a believer uh, absent. From the body present with the Lord, right? Although some people say that uh, you, you rest, uh, you're not you're you're not conscious of anything until the Lord comes back. You say, well, that's terrible because that means that I'm going to be resting unconscious for who knows hundreds of years. But when do you know how long? Do you know of the passing of time when you are unconscious? No. No. Okay. So it's so it's not that bad. Now I, I, I'm not saying that I'm. I'm not saying that I believe that, but but that's a possibility too. Yeah. Could it also be um, this? He was qualified to even be referring to the um, the beginning of our salvation, to um, like uh, you know, for he who was made for he who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf, that we might become righteous as his So even from the beginning, right? We couldn't qualify ourselves to receive salvation. Right. Very good. Yeah. So we cannot. Uh, uh, we cannot save ourselves, of course. We don't have the capacity to do that. 
in, in any case, salvation is not a, a patching uh, of uh, torn bits of your spiritual life that you just patch up a little bit here, a little bit there, but it's, uh, you must be born again. It's regeneration, right? So, and only God can do that. Uh, but notice in verse 13, because uh, Paul is going to keep going. Uh, when he talks about the salvation, it's not just that, that he uh, made us capable of participating in the inheritance, verse 13, who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us and put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So, a kingdom that has already begun with the uh, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit, but a kingdom that will have no end, according to the to the book of Revelation. And so he rescued us from that darkness. And by the way, almost always in the New Testament, when there is uh, language about rescue, it always, almost always, well, yeah, always uh, goes back to the paradigmatic act of rescuing, which is the Exodus in the Old Testament. When you want to know the New, the New Testament background for salvation, for deliverance, for rescuing, the paradigmatic event for that is the Exodus. That all gets played out then in the rest of the New Testament, right? Just as God delivered them uh, through Moses, God delivers his people through his son Jesus Christ. And then, of course, in verse 14, it says, uh, In whom we have redemption, uh, the forgiveness of sins. So one of the reasons that we give thanks is not just for the believers and uh, the cardinal virtues shown in their lives, but also for God, and not just a God in the abstract, but a God who redeems us fully redeems us from the beginning all the way to going into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, there have, let's tackle this question briefly here. Uh, uh, Paul and virtue ethics. Does anyone know here, uh, have you read, anyone have read a little bit about uh, virtue ethics? Anyone know what, what I mean by that? Well, I'm not an expert on it. <laughs> I'm not a philosopher. Uh, but I've read a little bit on it. And uh, uh, virtue ethics uh, comes all the way from Aristotle, amongst the Greeks, and uh, it is to be to be understood. You have to uh, compare it to what is called the ontology. That is, that in order to give thanks, excuse me, in order to ex exhibit a virtue of which one is giving thanks, being a grateful individual, uh, you need to have a reason, a rational reason that you understand in order to be virtuous, in order to do a good thing. That's one. Uh, account of uh, virtue ethics. Another account is the um, let's see what's the right word here uh, utilitarian, right? You do something you do something good because it is going to be good for the rest of society, right? So that's what tells you something is good. If it's good for the rest of society, then it's good. So you have the the ontologist account and you have the utilitarian account, and then you have the virtue ethics account that says that you do the right thing just because it's the right thing. Okay? Well, you know, why should I give thanks? Well, it's good. It's a virtuous thing to be a person of gratitude. It is not virtuous to be a person, ego, to be an egocentric person, and to be a person that has self-entitlement. So, uh, some good things there in virtue ethics, right? It, it, it could potentially make for a better society, <laughs> right? But but it, there there are weaknesses. There are weaknesses, you know. Uh, who decides what the virtues are? Right. 
Um, and uh, it is uh, an approach to ethics that it seems to me uh, can potentially leave God out of the picture. The Christian idea of ethics is uh, we is obedience to God. We do it because God tells us, right? Uh, so, are there virtue ethics in the Apostle Paul? Is giving thanks is the reason for giving thanks just because it is virtuous to do so? I don't think so. I think it is because God has done a work that He didn't have to do that we give thanks. Any questions or thoughts about this? All right, let's move to C then. And, and this may be surprising uh, for some of you. And it, and it was to me too, uh, as I was reflecting on this. And that is, seeing your handout, the morality of thanksgiving. Uh, have you thought about putting those two words in the same sentence? Morality and thanksgiving. I usually don't think that way. I usually think of morality as I don't drink, you know, or most people think I don't smoke. Um, although I have a pipe, <laughs> but that's something else. Uh, uh, you know, I don't party. Uh, all those things. Uh, but what if what if I told you that not giving thanks to God is immoral? That's a little more hard to swallow, isn't it? <laughs> because we can check many boxes, right? I don't do this, I don't do this, I'm a good parent. But are you a person who lives a lifestyle of thanksgiving to God? If we are not, then I think that the teaching here, as, as we'll see in just a minute, is that it is immoral. It is immoral. Um, let's see. I'm... Let's see it. Let's explore that by looking at uh, 2, uh, 6, and 7. Well, excuse me. Let's start first at 1.10. Look at Colossians 1.10. And here's where the uh, terminology of morality comes, <laughs> comes into play. In 1.10, Paul uses the word, uh, at least in the Greek here, to walk worthy of the Lord. Do some of you have that, to walk worthy of the Lord? Okay, good. And then if you look to chapter 2, verse 6, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk, so walk in Him. So, And then of course in verse 7, He's going to speak about thanksgiving. So you see the linkage between walking in verse 10, and then uh, and thanksgiving, which comes out in verse 12, that is to say, the walking is manifested in thanksgiving. Okay? And in 2.6, the walking in Christ is manifested in giving, uh, abounding in thanksgiving. So why walking and morality? Here's why. The term to walk is an Old Testament wisdom literature term. So when you read the Psalms, and when you read the Proverbs, and when you read Ecclesiastes, when the authors talk about obeying the commandments of God, they talk about walking in the commandments of the Lord. Read Psalm 119, and you'll see that all the time. Uh, you know, I will walk in your commandments when you broaden my heart. The, the metaphor of walking uh, is used to speak about the, uh, uh, the, the moral life, uh, the life of morality. 
And so it is interesting here that in, in both of those verses that we saw here, Paul links walking, morality, and thanksgiving. So that thanksgiving is an example of a life, of a moral life before God. Of a life that pleases God. I think that's that's very, very important. Uh, also, to go back to, to sex, uh, let me drive this a little bit deeper uh, about uh, the morality of it. Uh, in verse in chapter 2, uh, we have here uh, in verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving. As in 1, 9, 9 to 12, so this statement on thanksgiving is linked to the verb walk. In verse 6, thus viewing thanksgiving as part of habitual moral life. What is interesting here is that verse 6 uses the language of apostolic tradition. So in verse 6 it says, as you receive uh, Christ Jesus the Lord. That term there, receive, is a technical term in the New Testament for the reception of the churches of the apostolic tradition. The gospel, the charisma of the church. So what Paul is saying is, the, the apostolic tradition that you receive, the gospel of Jesus Christ, incarnate, crucified, and raised, uh, stick to that. Stick to that apostolic tradition. You receive this, stick to it. And then look at the, the other language that he's, that he's going to use in verse 7. He's going to use agricultural and architectonic language. Rooted and being built up and established in him. So the Christians, the Christian existence uh, is to be built, rooted, and established in the apostolic tradition that is the gospel. And what is that gospel? Again, it's the center of it is the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. What is remarkable here is that in the midst of, of such heavy doctrinal language, Paul... Uh, includes abounding in thanksgiving. Now, why? <laughs> How can you talk about the foundation of the Christian faith and in the same sentence end it by saying abounding in thanksgiving? What does the foundation of the Christian faith have to do with a life of thanksgiving? I think it would be a mistake to think that this last phrase, abounding in thanksgiving, it's an insignificant little tag at the end. As if Paul were saying, oh, and by the way, give thanks. Uh, I don't think that, that it, this is the little mint after dinner. Uh, rather, the overflowing of thanksgiving in the believer's life is the only appropriate response to God's gracious act in Christ Jesus. To not abound in thanksgiving is to live as if God's sublime act of love towards us in Jesus Christ never happened. It is to live as if there is no God, for God is who He is in His free love of the creature in Christ Jesus. God is who He is. He has determined to be God as the God who freely loves us through Christ Jesus. And so, when you don't give thanks to God for His salvation, you are denying God. This is why Paul considers ingratitude to God as constituting the quintessential act of idolatry in Romans chapter 1. 
So in Romans chapter 1, you know that, that difficult passage there uh, after uh, uh, verses 16 and 17. Then he goes on and he talks about uh, idolatry and all that. And then he gets to the apex of idolatry. And he says two things. He says, they didn't glorify him as God and they didn't give him thanks. That, that shocked me. Wait a minute. That, they just, that is idolatry that they didn't give you thanks? But in Romans... It is presented, ingratitude to God is presented as the quintessential act of idolatry. Hence, a life of ingratitude to God is an attempt to deny His existence and to erase the past to make it as if Jesus had never come. It is revisionism in a transcendent scale. As if God had never sent His Son, Jesus Christ. You see why this is important? Uh, it is our duty to give thanks to God uh, because of what He has done. Now, uh, let's see here. Uh, let me let me just mention two more passages, and, and, and we'll wrap it up here pretty soon. Uh, in verses 15 and 17, they, those are two other places where we have uh, talk about thanksgiving. Uh, verse 15, on the peace of Christ, uh, rule in your hearts, uh, as you were called one body, and be thankful, be grateful. Uh, 3.15, uh, the context of this verse is the life of the Christian in response to God's work of redemption, uh, in the believer, expressed in 3, 1 to 3. So, uh, Colossians is divided into two parts. 1 through 2 is uh, Paul's statement about God's salvation for us, God's grace for us. And it's all in the indicative. If you're a grammar uh, nerd like I am, uh, you know you know what I mean by the indicative. Declarations of truth, right? Uh, is, is, is. But beginning in chapter 3 of Colossians, we change from the indicative to the imperative. You ought to, ought to, ought to. So in light of what Christ has done for you, you ought to respond in a particular way. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, the imperative rules. But then again, at the beginning of chapter 3, this is why Paul can give an imperative. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that is the basis I'm going to give you a command to be grateful, to be thankful to God. And the only possible, the only reason why you can do that is because you have died with Christ and you have been raised again with Him. And so in uh, verse 15 when he says, uh, and be thankful, uh, that can only happen if a person has been transformed by the Spirit of God. Okay? Very, very important. Uh, if you haven't been transformed by the Spirit of God you are not going to want to give thanks. And then two verses later in 3.17, again he says, whatever you do, uh, do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to the Father through Him. Um, let me say this last thing here. Verse 17 is a summation of the entire section of chapter 3. The nature of the construction here gives a sense that thanksgiving is to accompany the whatever you do. The way that the, the structure of the grammar here is that whatever you do and giving thanks go together. It's not just a little tag at the end. Okay, So uh, Thanksgiving accompanies whatever you do. We might think of Thanksgiving as wrapping around all of our activities. Thanksgiving is to permeate 
all of our activities. It is like the particular accent you have. You can hear mine. <laughs> Spanish. It is like the particular accent you have uh, when you speak a language. You can't get away from the accent as long as you speak that language. Uh, giving thanks is like that. You know, it, it is to permeate who you are, your life, and, and you can't get away from it. Uh, now, uh, a couple of practical things here. Uh, how about when I don't feel like it? Right? Oftentimes, we don't feel like giving thanks. Do it anyways. Right? Do it anyways because God commands us to do it. And yes, one of the benefits will be that we will feel better about ourselves. And we'll probably be healthier and all, and all that good stuff. But we do it anyways, even uh, even when we feel that we have very little to give. Um, last week, uh, as, uh, as I was, uh, um, we came to the 11 o'clock service. As I left the 10 o'clock Sunday school, and uh, I walked out to go to the uh, to the sanctuary, uh, we were dealing with uh, with uh, with our son's uh, health, uh, had some issues with our son's health, and that, that had been a cloud over Kristen and I. And I remember getting out of the class and walking to the sanctuary, and uh, just looking up and saying, "God, I don't have a lot to give you today. I just don't have a lot." You're going to have to help me so that I can give you back what is yours. Because out of my own strength today, I can't give you anything. But please, you give me something that I'll give it back to you. And uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't raising my hands. Or, well, you, you wouldn't see that at the Advent anyways. But, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but that, it wasn't going that way. But I was still able, by, by the grace of God, to engage in worship uh, and to thank our God. And so Thanksgiving is ultimately a gospel thing, if you will. Uh, you can't do it on your own. Uh, sometimes in your good days, you don't want to do it. And certainly on your bad days, you don't want to do it. And so you just present yourself to God and say, God, I don't feel like doing it. I don't have anything to give. Uh, I can only give what you have given me first. That's gospel. And so we thank him. All right. How much more? Is that it, Gil? Or? Yep. All right. That's it. Okay. Shall we pray to conclude? Yep. Thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, we could not figure any of this stuff out out of our own mind, uh, powers of reflection. Uh, it is your word. It is you speaking to us, and we thank you. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to be gospel people. Uh, it's the only way to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. We give you our lives, uh, we put our lives in your hands, and ask you to bless us as we go forward to be obedient to you. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.